All right, it's Monday, October 25th. This is Sons of Saturday Hoops Pod. We are recording our first episode in about seven months. My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm joined by Ed Williams. Of course, we are from the Sons of Saturday. Ed, what is going on? Basketball season, like a little over two weeks away. And I think that we need to talk about this and record this podcast now more than ever, considering the current state of Virginia Tech football. Yeah, the current state of Virginia Tech athletics and football in particular, uh, it's definitely time for a bright spot and the Virginia Tech does that. So I'm really excited to talk about this team and the college basketball season in general. Um, Football is fun, but I, I love basketball, so I'm really pumped to talk about this team. Mike Young's got a fantastic roster put together for this year, so I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I guess we can start with, you know, a brief recap of last year. You know, Virginia Tech went 15-7 and seven overall. Weird COVID year, right? But 15-7, and 13-5 and five in ACC play. I think it was one of those years where not a lot of people were expecting Virginia Tech to kind of – pop up and and play the way that they did in a lot of ways but considering you know the year itself and the weirdness of the college basketball season for the Hokies to get themselves into their first NCAA tournament under Mike Young and again you're going up against a Florida team in that 10-7 game which it was a bad draw considering Florida's front court depth. And we talked about that a ton, but I think overall, you know, we can look at last season as a pretty significant success for the basketball program. Yeah. I don't know how you can look at it any other way. I mean, top to bottom, no one really expected Virginia tech to be what they were last year. Um, no one knew what Keve Aluma was. Turns out he's an all ACC level player. Um, we have him coming back this year, which is fantastic, but the roster as a whole last year, I would say, exceeded expectations, um, even with the weird COVID stuff going on. I believe they had five games canceled in the last month and a half of the season, which really makes it impossible to have any sort of momentum going into postseason play, both ACC and NCAA level. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about Mike Young and what they were able to accomplish uh, turning this program and this roster around in such a quick, short amount of time and getting them back into a place where they're in the NCAA tournament. Um, playing against a really good Florida team uh, and a game that they probably maybe shouldn't have won, but could have. Uh, they had a chance to steal it there at the end. Um, did not play our best ball at all, uh, which is to be expected when you've missed that much time in the home stretch of the season due to COVID. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of 2019 where the team was kind of rolling and then COVID hit in for the 2021 team and then 2019 team Justin Robinson's ankle hit. And it just kind of derailed things, and they were never able to get that groove back. Um, so hopefully this year with, you know, we're further away from COVID, or at least we think we are, um, this roster can click on all cylinders because there's a lot of dudes on this team that have played a lot of minutes in uh, ACC and Power 5 ball. Um, so, yeah, this team this year is poised to be very, very good. That Florida loss was brutal. Um, you know, I thought it was over, and then we stormed back, go to overtime. Nahim Aline played incredible unreal. in that game with 28. Yeah, um, the UNC game before that in the ACC tournament, um, not quite as frustrating just because of the circumstances around it and it being the first game back in a while for those guys, but had a chance to win that one too. Um, so this team battled despite the unfortunate circumstances down the stretch, and I think it'll help them in the long run and going into this season. It's going to be a different looking team for sure. Uh, Tyrese Radford 
you know, with some off-court issues, he's departed. Um, he's he's heading to go play with Buzz, which kind of hurts. Speaking of uh, Buzz Williams, Wabisabidi has decided he's not going to play another year with Virginia Tech, and he's going to go work for Buzz. So what? <laughs> Virginia Tech loses two players indirectly at Texas A&M, uh, one on the coaching staff now under Buzz Williams, and one is a player. Virginia Tech also loses a guy who Mike Young called the best shooter in the program, Jalen Cohn. Um, he's departed to go play basketball at Northern Arizona. Meanwhile, Joe Bamisil, who was a highly touted freshman coming into the year last year, played limited minutes for Virginia Tech, uh, really got his most playing time when guys were out due to COVID, and never really consistently broke into the rotation last year. He has transferred to George Washington. So Virginia Tech's got some departures, but I would say that Keve Aluma returning is pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, I would I would expect Keve to make some strides forward um, in his game, which didn't really have many holes in it anyway, as we saw last year. Um, Keve is a fantastic player, and I, I expect him to be exactly what he was last year, just an absolute bucket getter at all three levels. Um, I would love to see him pass the ball a little bit better, uh, which is something I'm sure he's worked on in the offseason. But Coach Young's raved about, you know, this might be the best shooting team he's ever had. You know, all five positions can fill it up from three. Uh, he's talked a lot about David and Gasson and his ability to shoot it now. Uh, Justin Mutz has shot the ball well at times from three. I'm sure he'll get even better in another year in the ACC. Um, those are some significant losses. I mean, the buzz stuff's kind of just funny more than it is anything else. I don't really read any into it at all. I mean, um, guys tend to be loyal to their guy, and Buzz was all their guys. I mean, I know people who have graduated, like Nikhil and um, J-Rob, they still go back and visit Buzz at AM and work out with him in the summer. Jimmy Butler's done that for years. He used to come to Blacksburg and work out with Buzz in the summer. Um, so I don't really read into that at all. Um, the Radford stuff, while unfortunate, I think those issues that will come with him being gone are going to be masked pretty quickly. And I think fans will see that. I don't think it was as big of a loss as people thought, because keep in mind, when he did go out with his legal issues last year, the team still played pretty well. Right. Um, he, he did a lot of things that made life easier for Hunter Couture and Himalene, but those guys are also grown at this point and can do that stuff on their own. Now. Um, I expect Darius Maddox to step up in the right direction. I heard a lot of good things about him in the off season. Um, will be Sabidi's loss is significant on one end of the floor and one end of the floor only. Um, what we lose defensively in the loss of BD, I think we gain, tenfold on the offensive side with Storm right. Murphy coming in from Wofford. So I think a lot of the losses um, will be masked and covered up pretty quickly. I think fans will be at ease when they see some of the guys that Mike Young was able to bring in to replace the talent. The Joe Bama so one is frustrating, um, if only from a potential standpoint. Right. I thought Joe was good at times last year, but uh, a lot of times the game was just way too quick for him, um, which probably explains why he ended up at a school like GW and not, you know, another power five program. Right. And same for Jalen Cohn. I mean, Northern Arizona, he's just going to be able to shoot as many threes as he wants there. That's perfectly fine. That's all he really was going to ever be for Virginia Tech. Um, I wish those guys nothing but the best, obviously. But it, from a competing at an NCAA and ACC high level, um, Jalen Cohn was always going to have a really hard time just due to his size. And Joe Bamisil needed time and minutes that he probably wasn't going to get here for at least another year. Right. with the guys at his position that we currently have. So um, 
it all comes out in the wash. I think we'll be all right. I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about the guys we did add. Yeah, the the Bamisil thing, you know, Virginia Tech's so deep on the wings, right? So, you know, like you mentioned, Bamisil, was, it was going to take him some time to, A, get his feet under him, but and that was pretty apparent last year, but then B, like have significant minutes once he felt like he was ready and once the coaching staff felt like he was ready. So that was pretty clear. I mean, it was pretty telling that really the only game where he played real significant minutes was against Miami. And that's because half the team was out due to COVID. So I think that was pretty telling of what the coaching staff thought of kind of where he was in his basketball development. You mentioned the BD departure hurts on defense. Doesn't really move the needle at all on offense. I mean, I, Bringing in Storm Murphy on a couple fronts helps, right? Number one, the familiarity with Mike Young. Number two, the fact that he's a veteran who has played a lot of meaningful minutes of basketball in his career. And he's going to provide an offensive spark for Virginia Tech that wasn't present with Wabisabidi on the floor. So is Storm Murphy as good of a defender as Wabisabidi? No. But is he good enough on defense? Yeah. And he adds an element on offense that Virginia Tech did not have with Beatty. So I think adding him is certainly a net positive. And you mentioned the Radford departure. I think what's significant here is that when you bring in a guy like Storm Murphy and you're not playing four on five basketball offensively, like you were at times with Obisabiti from a scoring standpoint, it opens things up nat- more naturally for Hunter Couture and Nahimaline. You know, like you mentioned, BD was able to, to slash to the hoop and kick out Radford able to slash to the hoop, kick out and open things up. But, you know, Virginia tech can be more free flowing offensively. Now when you have five shooters on the floor instead of four. Right. And I don't think Radford's departure, like you mentioned, is going to be so significant and maybe this ends up being proven wrong. We'll see, but on paper, I don't think it's going to be so significant that it's to the ultimate detriment of Virginia tech. I mean, you'd certainly rather have them than not, but, you know, with, with him leaving and who Virginia Tech has coming into the program and the way we saw Naheem Aline develop towards the end of last year, and now you're getting a real offseason for Aline and Couture, two guys who played pretty well last year in a lot of spots, I think it's pretty significant. And then that's not even to mention the fact that Keve Aluma is an all-ACC talent anyway. Justin Mutz was getting better and better as the year went on last year. Like, these are two guys who are going to anchor a really – good front court for Virginia tech. And Ed, we haven't even mentioned Lynn kid yet, who might be the most intriguing addition of everybody, right? Like he comes in transferring from Clemson. He was a highly touted recruit. He's a big bodied guy that Virginia tech has been kind of missing that depth in the front court with. I mean, Lynn kid is 6'10, 240, played basketball at IMG goes to Clemson. Doesn't get a lot of minutes, but when he played was proven to be effective. That's a pretty big ad for tech in the front court. Yeah. I mean, people are like, Oh, we only brought in one, one freshman. Well, okay. Lynn kids, basically a freshman um, barely played in his one year at Clemson in a weird COVID year where he probably had never had a chance to get his, you know, feet under him at all, but super highly rated kid coming out of high school, big body, very talented. Um, former four star composite on two, four, seven. So, really talented player to go along with who is a actual freshman in Sean Padula, three-star guard from Oklahoma, um, 136 nationally last year on 24-7. So I, I view them both kind of as freshmen. Um, Lynn Kidd's not in that he's been out of high school for a year, but 
you know, last year doesn't count anyway. So he basically is a freshman. Uh, I'm really excited about Link Kid. I think he'll make an impact right away. Um, being able to have another body like that on the bench who's capable and you know highly skilled and talented just makes everything so much better for the mutts and the Gassans of the world who can play a little bit more free. Uh, we didn't have that front court depth at all last year. And, you know, from the way Mike Young's talking, he said at times Gasson's been the best player in, in preseason camp. So that, that strides like that would be fantastic for this roster. Um, you mentioned Storm Murphy. I mean, everybody knows about Storm Murphy. It was kind of expected when he announced he was in the portal that Virginia Tech was going to be the front runner there. Um, 17 points per game, four assists per game. That's even at the Wofford level, fantastic stats uh, for a college basketball player. Um, and his maturity and his, you know, his ability to just play slow and open up everything for everybody else. It, it's amazing to me when you see guys in college, the game slows down for them at a certain point in their career. Um, I think we might have seen that happen with Naheem Aline a little bit towards the end of last season, especially in that Florida game. When the game slows down, it gets so much easier for these guys. Um, and Storm Murphy has played a lot of basketball, especially in the Mike Young system. So I expect him to be a fantastic addition to this roster. Um, you mentioned Lynn Kidd. We talked about him already. Sean Padula, I think, will actually um, be the backup point guard. I hope he is. I hope he's able to take a hold of that role and play, you know, maybe eight, ten minutes a game to give, give Storm a breather. Uh, last year, our default backup point guard was Hunter Couture. That's just not really his game. No. Uh, he did fine at it, but it's just yeah. really not his sweet spot. Um, Padula is, you know – the incumbent point guard when, when storm graduates next year. So it'd be great to get him some minutes this year. And from what Mike Young has said um, a little bit about Padula so far in camp is that, you know, he will play Mike Young point blank said Sean Padula will play. Yep. Um, so the fact that he's that confident this early on in his career um, is fantastic news for, you know, this season and seasons beyond if, if Sean Padula is able to learn from storm Murphy and take a few of those minutes to give the other guards a breath. Cause you know, last year was weird with BD, BD being the only point guard last year. There were times when Tyrese Radford's bringing the ball up or Hunter Couture's bringing the ball up. That's neither of their game. So having a real backup point guard is a big deal. And in a non-player form, one of the biggest additions also might be uh, Mike Jones coming in as an assistant coach. Yeah. Um, 19 years at DeMatha, his USA basketball experience is super valuable, both recruiting and otherwise. Um, he's coached a lot of really, really good basketball players in his time at DeMatha and otherwise. So um, really excited about Mike Jones. I was a home run hire uh, by Mike Young. Uh, everybody in the college basketball world was pretty uh, taken aback when that took place because, you know, there have been times in Mike Jones' career at DeMatha when colleges have come knocking, and this time was the one he decided to pick up the phone. So pickups both on the floor and off the floor for this program in the offseason – I don't know how you could have much better of an offseason than these guys did. So very excited about what Virginia Tech was able to put together. Yeah, I probably should have mentioned that Mike Jones higher off the top. I mean, th that's just like you mentioned, you know, DeMatha is a big time high school basketball program on a national scale. This isn't just a DMV program that's really good. This is a nationally like branded basketball program. It's very, very good. And for Mike Young to be the guy to finally poach Mike Jones away from the high school ranks and his his cushy job that he had at the math for all the great teams he put together there. 
I think says a lot about Mike Young, right? And says a lot about his ability to relate to people and, you know, define a role for somebody who's kind of making that leap. Because for as good of a basketball coach as Mike Jones is, you know, he's coached USA basketball, he's coached at DeMatha, like he's got the resume to coach anywhere he wants, right? At the collegiate level, um, at least as an assistant to break into the ranks, but to be comfortable enough to take on a job with Mike Young and for Mike Young to have that role established for him, I think is pretty significant. Uh, so I'm interested to see how, how that pays dividends. I mean, we've already started to see it pay dividends on the recruiting trail, obviously. Um, you know, being able to already dip into the DeMatha, DeMatha player pool there. Um, so it, it just, I, I think the Mike Jones addition is a really, really significant hire for this Virginia Tech basketball program because you knew at some point you're going to have to replace a guy like Chester Frazier, right? And I think in the next couple of years, we're going to be talking in the same way about Christian Webster, you know? So these are guys who are going to, who have departed or are going to depart the program at some point because they are very good at what they do as assistant basketball coaches. And they have bright futures ahead of them, obviously. And for Mike Young to, to you know, essentially hit a home run with Mike Jones, with his first replacement on, on his staff, I think it's pretty significant. Yeah, there was a quote from uh, Notre Dame's coach Mike Bray during the ACC media day. I'll see if I can find it and I'll tweet it out with when we tweet out the podcast. But talking about, you know, his long-term relationships with Mike Young and Mike Jones and, you know, neither Jones or Young knew each other, but they both knew Bray and they both came to Bray to ask about the other one. Uh, it was pretty interesting to read about, you know, how the coaching circle works in that way and, um, you know, leveraging relationships and, you know, the fact that Mike Bray thought so highly of both Mike Young and Mike Jones to recommend them to each other. Uh, it was just a pretty cool little anecdote to read about. But, yeah, I mean, can Mike Young do any wrong? I don't think so, so far. Right. No, no, I can't do any wrong for sure. Uh, now, I, I want to just get into a little bit more about the roster and some things you were referring to. So the having a backup point guard, a true backup point guard is huge. And the fact that Mike Young came right out and said, Sean Petula will play. He wasn't saying that about all the freshmen last year, right? I mean, he did say David Ngusan would have a role. He said Joe Bamisil would have a role, but it was pretty unclear what those roles would be. Obviously, David Ngusan played a decent amount last year. Um, you know, was playing eight to 10 minutes a game and, and getting his feet under him. Couldn't say the same about Bamisil, like we mentioned earlier. But the fact that he was so adamant that Sean Padula is going to play, I think, speaks to his ability, right? So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he adapts to the collegiate level. I mean, obviously, uh, a guy who has a lot of expectations coming in as a point guard is going to be a pretty good player, we all think. So, you know, being able to kind of establish that role. And then the development of Darius Maddox, right? So, like you mentioned, a lot of good things we've been hearing about Maddox in the offseason. And when he played last year, certainly had his moments but again, was a limited role for him. I think he's going to have more of a role this year. And I mean, the, the, the bigger takeaway for me is like Virginia Tech's got depth here and it seems like they're going to have more playable depth than they had a year ago during, during COVID for obvious reasons, number one, but number two, I just think this team is more established, right? I think Hunter Couture being able to go back to the wing and not have to bring the ball up is going to be a net positive, right? Because it's not his role. He did a nice job with it and establish that trust with Mike Young. And Mike Young obviously wasn't afraid to put the ball in his hands on a more regular basis if he needed to, but being able to go back to his more natural role on the wing, I think is going to be pretty significant. You know, we talked about the development of all the guys that have played a lot, but 
there are a few wild cards here, right? Like what does Lynn Kidd look like in his first real significant action, right? Because he didn't play a ton at Clemson. Does John Ogiaco come back and make a contribution? He was like the he was like the ghost of Christmas past last year, right? Like we kept hearing about John Ogiaco, John Ogiaco, John Ogiaco. Yeah, he's coming along, he's got a banged up knee, whatever. Like th- does he have a significant role in the front court or does he at least play some minutes? Because all of a sudden, if you got a front court that's running four or five deep, if you got, you know, a back court with, you know, Storm Murphy and Sean Padula, and then, you know, you run Darius Maddox out there, like all of a sudden you got a, a point guard room and, and a front court in particular, it's running like four or five deep. And we know what the depth is on the wing for Virginia tech with, you know, everything they got going for them with Naheem Aline and, and Hunter Couture and, you know, all these guys that we know can, can make a difference. And, and Mutz has, you know, played out on the wing as well. Like we've seen, we've seen these guys that, that can play in multiple roles. This has potential to be a really deep team on paper. And we'll see kind of as the early part of the season goes on, you know, how much some of these fringe guys like an Ojiaco and, and like a Darius Maddox can actually contribute. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I just scratched down on my little notepad here who I think the potential starting five could be and then how deep the bench could be. Um, I realistically see nine guys playing um, significant minutes and then it doesn't include John Ojiaco even. So right. um, there could be a lot of guys getting minutes this year depending on, you know, you know, readiness, I guess. But from a starting perspective, I think I would look at um, Storm Murphy, obviously, at the one, Hamelene, Mutz, and Aluma as four locks, I would say, to start. Right. Yep, um, agree. And the Mike Young system, it doesn't really matter who starts because they all play a lot of minutes anyway. Um, that that fifth spot, which is really kind of the, the three-ish – I guess you could say I have written down Gasan slash tour. Um, not sure which direction Mike Young will want to go there. It'll probably be matchup dependent, um, stylistic dependent on who they're playing, that kind of thing. Um, but there's an alternate way of thinking that I might consider, which would be to start Darius Maddox at the three. Yeah. Um, even if that doesn't mean he plays the most minutes at the three in the game. It just lengthens your bench a little bit experience-wise. I think Hunter Couture is better suited coming off the bench anyway. Yep. Um, so that would, you know, be one way to lengthen your bench with a lot of experience. Um, and it kind of comes down to what David Ingasson is and what he has become in the offseason. We've heard that he's, you know, a very capable shooter now. Uh, once you put his length out on the wing at the three, not a lot of college teams have that kind of – um, physicality and athleticism to handle that, but it's a question of his ball handling and his shooting ability. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can go here, and it's it's a it's a good problem to have if you're Mike Young and his staff. You know, um, I, I would consider Maddox at the three. I think that'd be really good for our depth because then you have guys like Hassan, Couture, Padula, Kid, all coming off the bench. Um, that's a pretty good second unit, I would say. So yeah, this roster is very, very versatile, flexible, and experienced in a lot of different ways. So uh, th- this team's built to, built to be pretty good. I'm, I'm excited to see where it heads and, you know, which direction they go depending on who they're playing that day. 
Yeah, and we haven't even talked about a guy like Jalen Haynes yet, who's a freshman, took a post-grad year at Montverde Academy, averaged 20 and 20 and 12, I think. Um, 20 and 10, almost 20 and 11. Uh, you know, was a three-star recruit, chose the Hokies over Mississippi State, Boston College, and Central Florida. Probably heading towards a redshirt year, but I mean, maybe not, right? Like, I don't know. I'm interested. I'm interested to see. I mean, Tech's so deep in the front court. I, I have a, and again, he's he's six eight, so we can see a little bit of him on the wing. But with with how deep Virginia Tech is, I'd be surprised if he plays too much this year. Yeah, at, at six eight, two fifteen, you know, he's a big bruising guy down there. I, I would hope, in an ideal world, right? He redshirts because that means that Lynn Kidd and John Ojiaco are capable backups, right? And you don't need to burn that redshirt. Um, so in an ideal world, yeah, Jalen Haynes would redshirt, but a very physical presence, uh, good body to bring in for uh, for the staff. That was a good, that was a good pickup. Um, a guy who's played, you know, one year out of high school at this point and in a graduate type year. Um, but yeah, big bruising dude. And it would be a good problem to have if he's pushing for minutes, but it would also be really good if John Ojiaco and Lynn Kidd are capable backups in the front court and you don't need to play Jalen Haynes. Agree. No, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, your point about Hunter Couture potentially coming off the bench. I agree with that. Uh, now we've seen Hunter Couture in, in multiple roles. We've seen him start. We've seen him come off the bench. We've seen him on the wing. We've seen him at point guard. Like he's a very well-rounded player. And last year I think was a major step in his development. And I think this is an even bigger year because he had a real off season, right? I mean, he didn't really have a, a true off season last year and the strides that he made in his game were pretty significant. So I'm really excited to see him play this year. If you're Hunter Couture, right, and you're coming off the bench, I think Couture is the type of guy who has a mindset where it doesn't really matter where you stick him. You know what I mean? Because he will play significant minutes for this team, right? And just because – Without a doubt. And we saw this last year too. Like just because he doesn't start doesn't mean he's not going to finish games either. Like more often than not, Hunter Couture is out there as like the final five in, like with two minutes to go. Like he's in the game. He's playing. So – He's playing a ton of minutes, and it doesn't really matter where you stick him. So, yeah, it really depends. I mean, Mike Young can play us a few different ways. I mean, you can either – you can even, you know, run the route, and I don't see him necessarily doing this, but depending on your level of comfort with Sean Padula, you know, we talked about Darius Maggs potentially being inserted in the starting lineup. I think you could potentially start Padula as well. Now, I don't think he'll do that off the jump, but I think we could see a lineup later this year where Padula is starting alongside Storm Murphy. I would not be surprised to see that at all, especially if you want to go the route of bringing a guy like Couture off the bench. Cause I think Aline Mutz, Kevin Aluma and Storm Murphy are the locks. I totally agree with you. That fifth guy is up for grabs, you know, in terms of that fifth spot is up for grabs. And I think that you can rotate three or four guys in there and feel pretty good about it. And I think a lot of times, Ed, it's going to be matchup based. Like we're not going to see that really matter early in the year. Um, considering who Virginia Tech is playing in the, in the first week and a half or, or two weeks of their schedule. But, you know, once you get into late November when Tech's playing Memphis and, you know, Tech's playing in the NIT tip-off tournament, then I think it's going to start to matter from a matchup standpoint who's going to be in that starting five. Yeah, I mean, early on, you know, I'm sure we'll record again before the first games. We can talk about these games more, but I have the schedule memorized at this point. We've got Maine, Navy, and Radford as our first three, I believe. Yep. You can kind of play whoever you want in whatever order you want there. Um, but when you get into the Memphises of the world and the Dayton's of the world and the Maryland's of the world, um, those matchups and athletic ability uh, are much more significant. 
Um, you know, Memphis has got some lanky, very athletic, very skilled players where, you know, if you have the capability of playing David and Gasson at the three defensively and matchup wise, that helps a lot. Um, same with Maryland. I, I always joke around that Maryland has a bunch of dudes who are all six, eight, six, six. They're all look the exact same. They all play the exact same. Um, so, you know, playing Padula and Storm together in a game like that against a team like that is not exactly something I would want to get into. But if you can play Gasson at the three, um, that opens up a whole new ball game for Virginia Tech. Um, I think Aline, Couture, and Maddox are all kind of um, in that same mold together. Uh, I do think Aline will be the you know, 10 seconds on the shot clock. We need a bucket. Go get it. Go get your shot off kind of guy right. this year. I think he showed, you know, that ability tenfold in that Florida game alone. So I'm really hopeful that those strides were not, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a flash in the pan. I really hope right. that is who Aline is this year, which we'll get into in a second with some of our uh, fan questions from the great Sam Jesse. But yeah, I, I don't know. This roster has a lot of ability to be versatile. Um, Justin Mutz is my favorite player to watch. That dude yeah. does everything. Um, I'm super pumped to watch him play another year uh, at this level. He's such a good basketball player. Um, and, you know, and then there, we barely have talked about Kevin Aluma this entire podcast, but, you know, preseason first team ACC, uh, just a stud. So there's a lot going on in this roster, and it'll be really fun to watch it unfold. Um, Lynn Kidd and Sean Padula as you know, the freshman is I'm going to consider Lynn kid um, have a lot of, a lot of skill. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch how Mike Young handles things. The Gasson is such a tweener that you can kind of do anything with him. Right. Um, and he last year showed this innate ability to be in the right place. Always. Uh, anytime there was a rebound coming off on the offensive glass, somehow ended up in his hands for an easy putback. So um I'm, I'm confident he's taken strides in the offseason and will be a very, very good player for this team. All yeah. in all, great roster, great offseason. Um, I, I can't I can't wait for November 9th. Yeah, and Gusan's a heady basketball player, no doubt about it. Always in the right place at the right time. Uh, let's get into those fan questions, Ed. Let's get into yeah, those fan questions. So uh, the great Sam Jesse from the Locks of Saturday was – kind enough to submit three pretty interesting questions uh, for this first episode. His first one is which current tech player would you want most on your favorite NBA team? So for me, that is the wizards by default. I'm a DC, everything. Um, not a huge NBA guy. I kind of just watch whoever's on, but uh, I will stick with the wizards for this one. Um, and that was an interesting question based on the wizards current roster too. So um my default answer would have been Justin Mutz because he's my favorite player to watch on the tech team, but he kind of is similar to Montrez Harrell. So it wouldn't really made much sense to add him to the wizard roster. So I'm going to go with storm Murphy because I need a point guard real bad and storm's pretty awesome and can condition it, can shoot it. He'd be a great player alongside Bradley Beal. So I'm going to go with storm Murphy on the wizards. Who's who, who are the Celtics picking up here? Justin Mutz. They need so that the issue that the Celtics have and we're three games in Celtics are one and two so far. We've seen a double overtime game against the Knicks. We've seen a blowout loss to the Raptors. Then we saw Celtics win a game actually on Sunday against Houston, which they pulled away, played really well in the second half. What the Celtics missed last year and I think what they missed in in that blowout against Toronto the other night is like consistent toughness 
right? So you have it, you have it with Marcus Smart, but like Tatum is still young, Jalen Brown's still young. Like you got some veterans in the front court. Like you got an Al Horford that that certainly helps. But like you need toughness with kind of a tweener like Mutz, right? And I think he could easily step in, provide defense off the bench that would be and, and toughness and intensity that I think would be helpful with the second unit for the Celtics in particular. So Justin Mutz, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I actually think Sam, when he was texting me about these questions, he's he's a Cleveland guy. So he said Justin Mutz on the Cavs too. Yeah. So Justin Mutz is definitely a popular pick. Yep. Um among all all of us here. So I, I'm sure that would be among you know the listeners as well. Um his second question was honestly, this is a huge tell into his two and three question go hand in hand. Yep. And number two is is Naheem Aline poised to be a 15 point per game score this year? I say yes. I say um, yes I think as well. He, I think he makes that jump. Um, he averaged 11 a game last year. So a four point jump um, as well within the, you know, realm of possibility here, uh, especially with the loss of Tyrese Radford. I think Aline will get the ball late in the shot clock where a lot of times last year we saw Radford as that guy. Um so, yes, I do think Naheem Malene will score 15 points per game this year, which would be fantastic. I do, too. I think he needs to eliminate those games where he doesn't have his jump shot and, he's, and he settles. You know, we saw that a lot last year. He's got to get to the bucket, you know, when he's not, you know, because you're not going to you're not going to have great shooting games all the time. Right. And he's going to have nights where his shots aren't falling. He needs to get to the hoop more frequently. I think he will. Uh, I think it's a, it's an element of his game that is underrated, right? Like when he does it, he's been, he's proven to be pretty good at it. It's a matter of making that a, a more consistent part of the game, get to the free throw line. We know he can shoot the lights out the gym when he's hot. We saw that against Florida. I mean, he was the only reason why Virginia tech sent that game to overtime was because of a lean second half in particular, uh, had a huge game there. We know the upside with him and I think he makes the jump as well. I think he becomes a 15 point per game scorer. I think he's going to have to for Virginia tech to realize their potential as a potential like sweet 16 type team. So. Yep. And that goes right into his Sam's third question, which was, is the goal making the NCAA tournament or are we beyond that and looking for sweet 16 banners? So it's really hard to, you know, set a goal of making the sweet 16, um, you know, as we all know, the NCAA tournament is quite literally madness. Um, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you could have the number one seed and get knocked out against the 16, like Virginia did. Um, you know, randomness is what comes to mind with that tournament. So I'll say, yes, the goal is to make the tournament because in order to make the Sweet 16, you got to be in there to begin with. So the goal is always to get there, right? And then once you're there, it's what can you do with it? Um Virginia Tech under Buzz Williams in 18 was a very good team, got their underwhelming performance, got bounced. I think you need that. Um, you know, you need to get your feet wet. And I think there was a lot of guys on the Tech roster last year that when they did get to the tournament, their first time there, were a little shell-shocked. Right. Um, you know, it's winter go home. It's the biggest stage in the sport um, against a very good Florida team. And you're not going to play a bad team in that tournament. Um, so I, I think getting there last year, arguably a year or two early, was um, a huge step in the development of this program and a lot of these guys, uh, individual developments as well. So 
I think the goal has to still be to get there, but I do think this roster is more than capable of making that run to the Sweet 16 or beyond. I mean, this is a really good team. There's obviously some questions on the defensive side of the ball that I think will be um, answered in a, in a good way early on. I think we'll know how good this team is defensively pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I think the goal has to be to get there, right? But I do think they're capable of, you know, making that run to the second weekend and hanging up some banners in Castle. Yeah, you make a you make a pretty good point there that it's really hard to uh, it's pretty hard to be like, yeah, Virginia Tech should be a Sweet 16 team because it is all about randomness and all about matchups, more importantly. Now, I think Virginia Tech has a more well-rounded roster this year than they had a year ago. So I think it's more reasonable to expect that Virginia Tech would be able to get into the tournament and win a game or two. I mean, really, once you get to March Madness, right, it's all about, you know, once you get to March, it's all about winning six games, right, to, to be a national championship type team. I don't think we're saying by any stretch that Virginia Tech will win a national championship. But what we are saying is that Virginia Tech has a talented enough team to make a little bit of a run. Now, that being said, I, I think we're to the point in Virginia Tech's program now where we're so far removed from the end of Seth Greenberg and the James Johnson era and even the early years of Buzz Williams that making the NCAA tournament now at Virginia Tech is the standard, right? It's no longer the goal. I think it should be the standard now. That's not to say that Virginia Tech won't have a down year every now and then, that Virginia Tech won't have a roster where they have to rebuild, but I think making the NCAA tournament has become the standard at Virginia Tech over the better part of the last six or seven years, right? And this is a year where I expect Virginia Tech to go to the NCAA tournament. I expect Virginia Tech to be one of the three or four best teams in the ACC. I expect Virginia Tech to be a high seed, higher than a 10, certainly, like they were last year um, in the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, the, the goal is to always make it to March. But I would argue that the standard now in Virginia Tech's basketball program is to make the NCAA tournament. So it's less of a goal, more of a standard at this point. And I think that you and I can acknowledge with this roster compared to last year's, I think Virginia Tech is more well-rounded and I think Virginia Tech not making the NCAA tournament would be a colossal disappointment. So I think that is the standard this year, not just the goal. That, that would be my, my take on it. Yeah. And I believe in the ACC preseason poll, we were picked to finish fifth, I think, which yep. any, any year, every single year, fifth in the ACC year in the tournament. So, right. um, you know, the expectation is obviously to be in the tournament. Like you said, I do think that is the standard, which is pretty crazy to say. Yeah. Um, pretty awesome to say, but pretty crazy to say. And I, I think, you know, to answer Sam's question, like, is this team capable of making the Sweet 16? 100%, absolutely. Yeah, capable for of making sure. The Elite Eight, this is a fantastic team. Um, it's just hard to make that, you know, the goal or like, if they don't do this, then it's a failure. I mean, if they don't make the tournament, then it's a bad season, like you said. Right. But getting there is the goal. Um, any number of craziness can happen between now and then. So, yeah, this roster is definitely constructed to make a pretty significant run. Um, a lot of experience across the board, a lot of really talented players, better depth than we've had in the past. So, And Mike Young has built this schedule in a way that – you know, they take care of some things in the non-conference part of the schedule. You're looking at a pretty high seed. Yes. Um, you know, yes. this is an incredibly difficult non-conference schedule, which we'll touch on next time we record. But um, Mike Young's pushing his chips in here, I would say, with the roster construction and the yep. schedule layout. So it's going to be fun, man. I'm really excited. I, I don't want to watch any more football. I'm ready to move on to basketball. So Yeah. Yeah. 
the 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 opportunity to pick up some marquee non-conference wins, I think, is something that will be noted with the schedule. We'll get into it on the next podcast. But yes, uh, th- that opportunity is there for Virginia Tech. And then we know what the ACC schedule is. Always going to be tough. Always going to be an opportunity to pick up a few, you know, road wins that are significant and certainly some home wins that are significant. And I, I think Virginia Tech and what Mike Young has done with the schedule too is that if the Hokies are able to pick up a couple of marquee non-conference wins early, it does give the Hokies some leniency if they have an off night against you know, a, a team in the ACC that that's down or, or at Virginia Tech's level and, and the Hokies just happen to not play their best game that night. You can afford a, a bad loss, right? You can afford a bad loss or two if you have you know, some significant non-conference wins and obviously the expectation is for Virginia Tech to be a very good conference team as well. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, Ed, anything else we should touch on here before we get out of here? No, I think we'll, we'll hit on a lot of stuff in the next one. Here a lot more than I had anticipated, but um, I'm really excited to you know get back to work, especially you know on a national level, but also more. I think they deserve more mind share, and I think they'll get it this year. So yeah, no, I I agree, I agree for sure. So we'll get into the schedule um, on our next episode. Again, Ed, Ed and I plan to start getting these rolling here on a more regular basis. Uh, again, we're a couple weeks out from the start of basketball season, so. Expect these recordings more regularly on your Sons of Saturday feeds. Uh, but, Ed, we will talk next week. We'll get into the schedule, and we'll get ourselves ramped up because by then we'll be inside a week to Virginia Tech basketball. So it's coming up quick. We'll get into the schedule in the next recording of this podcast. Uh, this is the Sons of Saturday Virginia Tech Hoops pod. For Ed Williams, I'm Mike McDaniel. Until next time, go Hokies.